Is it time for an oil change? Not for your car, but in your kitchen? Today, we will walk you through the best options when it comes to cooking with oils, the healthiest fat for every job. That and more here today on An Organic Conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helge Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. There are at least a dozen different kinds of oils and fats that one can use in the kitchen, all with their specific purpose, individual smoke point, flavor, and behavior. The best oil for baking might not be the ideal for your stir-fry. Today, we will help you deepen your understanding of the world of oils in the kitchen so you can make the best and healthiest choices for yourself and your loved ones. Cooking with oils, the healthiest fat for every job, our topic today. But we'll start off, as always, with a week's review. Sita. Week's review. And Helga, usually you lead the charge on this because you subscribe to so many great newsletters in this world of health and sustainability. You're constantly sending me these ideas. And one of the ones that you sent was a great article on First Look Media. Um, they have a, a segment called The Intercept, and it was about Teflon. I sent you that? You sent me oh, this. Great. Yeah, Yeah, so bravo. <laughs> Nice job. So, you know, on this show, we talk a lot about cooking and food, but we don't talk about cookware that often. And this article was covering the dangers of Teflon. And what it does, it's, it's a very long and comprehensive article. I highly recommend reading it. And they talk a lot about the, the history that DuPont has with C8, which is also known as, and I'm going to botch this, but it's perfluorocatanonic acid or PFOA, which is how it's frequently abbreviated, especially if if you're looking for pans that say PFOA free. So this C8 ingredient is a chemical that went unregulated for nearly eight decades of use. And Teflon, which which is what they're using this ingredient to create, was introduced in 1946. And they were using it for all kinds of things to waterproof shoes and clothing. They were putting it in eyeglasses. They used it to stain proof carpets and furniture. It was even in food packaging and like fast food wrappers and microwave popcorn bags and pizza boxes. The reason is because it's a surfactant, which reduces the surface tension of water and keeps things from sticking. So we've known about the concern of this ingredient for at least a decade at this point, but they had, DuPont had been doing experiments on animals to find out what the implications were of using this chemical, and they had found a wide range of health problems as they were experimenting with it. And in 2011, after seven years of research, they found that C8 was linked to ulcerative colitis, high cholesterol, pregnancy-induced hypertension, thyroid disease, and a host of cancers, including testicular cancer and kidney cancer. So that is just a recap on this concern about Teflon. And there are still so many people who want something that performs like Teflon where their food is not going to stick to their pans. We've actually had listeners write us and say, what kind of green nonstick options are there? So we want to talk about that a little bit before we wrap up this week's review. Yeah, and um, perfluorooctaonic acid, C8, it's because the name C8, it's eight molecules, it's eight components, and the body does not know what to do with it when it enters your bloodstream and your body. And 
in cookware, of course, one little scratch on a Teflon pan might mean that you get parts of this element and this coating into your body, and it's highly toxic. We know that. It was actually used as a shield for the spaceships that NASA launched as a shield, and that's how it was. De- that's what it was developed for to begin with, and then they took it to human life. But you, you always do a great job, actually. I, I remember you covered cookware a couple times, or you bring it in, and it's just so important. I think I remember you, you saying, maybe in the camping episode we did that, cast iron, of course, an amazing alternative. Stainless steel, cast iron is really heavy, beautiful in the kitchen, kind of creates its own seasoning in itself, and, and then there's stainless steel but what are the what are the well the thing about even, even with cast iron and stainless steel food does stick to the surface i mean they don't have the kind of surfactant quality that these things have and there are now green non-stick pans that are using alternative ingredients that are basically in place of this chemical surfactant that's been such a concern for so long. I don't really know anything about those. My feeling is that, you know, they're they are doing some research to see what the implications are, but it's still really early technology. So and what do you me, use? I don't. I don't actually it's not a priority for me to prevent food from sticking the way that these pans are, are are doing it. I mean, what I do, and I don't actually have a lot of trouble with sticking in my stainless steel pans. I, I cook with fat. That's one thing that helps because that is um, slippery enough to keep things from sticking as long as you're keeping an eye on it and not letting the food burn or scorch or you know, proteins bind with the stainless or steel. Or keeping it pretty moist, like you know, or, adding or a water at, level exactly. first always to it. Exactly. It's healthier anyway. There are there are quite. I mean, in my experience, I've not been in a lot of culinary kitchens and restaurant kitchens where they're using nonstick pans because actually there are a lot of um, cooking techniques that can prevent your food from sticking. Like I said, cooking with fat is one of them. Helga, you said keeping the moisture high, whether you're using water or white wine or soy sauce or braising liquid, whatever it is. And actually, one trick that I do find to be pretty effective is when I get my pan hot, I actually put in a a pinch, kind of a generous pinch of salt. And then I add my oil. And what that does is it just, it makes it so that there's less surface area that's not slick to bind with. So, you know, a little stick doesn't bother me and I don't have to worry about these chemicals ending up in my food or my body. Great. Yes. Thank you, Sita big topic. Well, thanks for the article. And like I said, it's um, it's First Look Media, The Intercept, if you can find their article on Teflon. It's, um, it's really eye-opening. Yes. And how apropos, as almost everything we do is kind of connected and apropos, uh, cooking with oils, our topic today to make it stick less, <laughs> but really the healthiest fat for every job in the kitchen from baking to stir frying and so much more. Our topic today, and we invited an expert to help us understand what oils to use for what exact purpose and why. That and more when we come back right after the break. This is An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Hilbert. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. 
We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Hilberg. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. We are talking oils and fats in the kitchen today and the best use of them for what exact purpose. That's our feature topic in this hour. But before, here's the beauty and health tip from the world of personal sustainability. Sita Rani Palomar and her holistic bite. Well, today I want to talk about something in the world of beauty and health, and that is face toner. And toner is actually, you know, when you look at what has become kind of the standard sequence of skincare, it's one of the three things you do. You cleanse, you tone, and then you moisturize. And it's one thing that people will sometimes leave out. They'll cleanse and then they'll moisturize and they'll leave out this middle step. I'm going to tell you why you don't want to do that. The two main reasons are, first, Toning rebalances the pH of your skin so that you can fight off infection and heal any kind of irritation. And two, it also helps your moisture to penetrate your skin. So here's why. On the first item, when we wash our skin, what we do is we remove all of the oil and we actually neutralize the pH of our skin. But our skin wants to be slightly acidic because that is how we fight off infection and irritation. So when you use toner, and one ingredient you will find in toners and something that is sometimes used as a toner when diluted with water is apple cider vinegar. And that's because its pH is slightly acidic. So if you rebalance the pH on your skin, you will find that your skin will get clear clearer and heal faster. That's the first reason. The second reason, like I said, is because it helps moisture penetrate your skin. One of my good friends at Credo Beauty, Chandra, who's just an expert esthetician and of course comes from the world of natural as well, gave me this analogy. She said, your skin is like a sponge. And if you think about putting oil on a dry sponge, it's basically just going to sit on top. But if you first get that sponge damp and then you put oil on it, it will have the opportunity to permeate and disperse through all of the layers of the sponge. That is why toning your skin before you put moisture on makes it so that your serum, your oil, your cream will be able to penetrate those layers of your skin and provide you lasting hydration. So don't skip the toner. Do some research and find maybe there are some really great healthy DIY toners out there. In fact, I can speak to some because I've made some myself. We feature them on organicconversation.com. You can also find great natural organic toners on credobeauty.com. And that's this week's Holistic Bite. <laughs> Thank you, Sita. Yeah, I love toners. There's also a feeling of tightening your skin in a really healthy way. Like if you use a toner for a couple of weeks, you can tell that your, what do you call that when it overall looks more balanced, like the redness is gone. The Glow? <laughs> okay, no, that's not the word I'm looking for. But there's just an, an evenness, a balance in your complexity. Complexion. Com- complexion, that's ah, it. That's exactly, complexity. <laughs> in the complexity of your complexion. Really nice. It yeah. just feels right. 
you know, your skin will tell you it feels right. And there are a lot of toners out there that are alcohol-based. You do not need to use an alcohol-based toner. It can be more drying. There are toners, like I said, that use apple cider vinegar as part of what rebalances your pH. There are also some that are water-based and rosewater-based. And what they do is they incorporate a lot of healthy minerals and plant extracts that will help to rebalance your pH. So do some research. Find something for your skin. Great. Thank you. Cooking with oils, the healthiest fat for every job. Our topic in this hour, and we invited an expert, an absolute expert, to help us understand what oils to use for what exact purpose in the kitchen and why. And with us now is Lisa Turner, chef and nutritionist uh, of Inspired Eating. That's inspiredeating.com, who's joining us from Boulder. She's a very, very well-published writer, natural chef, and nutrition consultant instructor at Bowman College. Uh, Lisa, do we have you on the show? I'm here. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Welcome. So great to have you. Yeah, this was all prompted, the idea of the show, because of an amazing article you wrote on oils, really walking people through all the things they need to know about behavior, smoke point, uh, what purpose and why. And we thought that's such critical information because often people have their one favorite oil and then they use it for everything. And that's not how oil is designed, at least in most cases. That's that's not the ideal way to, to use oils. So different oils for different purposes. And hopefully we'll, um, after the, this interview, have people have a closer relationship to oils and, and what to do how. So let's start with something really basic, and that's how oils differ in a way that is significant for cooking and health. Can you tell us about the different types of oils and fats there are, like saturated and monounsaturated, what that means? Sure. The three basic types of oils, of natural unaltered oils, are saturated, monounsaturated, and polyunsaturated. And then, of course, we have trans fats, which is a a whole different beast we could talk about in a moment. But in terms of the, the benefits and differences for cooking and for health, if we talk about the three main varieties, saturated is the first one, and that's one that, that CETA has been used for traditionally for thousands and thousands of years. So that's things like coconut oil, palm oil, and butter. Now, before I even say anything more about saturated fat, because I can, I can hear people gasping, uh, oh, but saturated fat is really bad. It clogs your arteries and so forth. I think it's important to recognize that the entire lipid hypothesis, which is the theory that fat clogs your arteries and consequently causes heart disease, was built mostly on bad science. And since these studies were done you know, 30, 40 years ago, that theory has been disproven dozens of times. And a number of really recent reports have even further muddied that connection between saturated fat and heart disease. So I think it's important to recognize that, that we, we need to really re-examine our, our previous beliefs about the effect of saturated fats on the body. Um, having said that, saturated fats differ in terms of what type we're talking about. For example, one of the more popular ones now is coconut oil, and a number of studies have found that coconut oil increases HDL, which is the beneficial cholesterol, and decreases LDL, which is the harmful cholesterol, and then also reduces waist circumference when it's compared with soybean oil. So this is what these studies are showing, that coconut oil is actually 
a really healthy form of saturated fat. Well, and Lisa, you were talking about this uh, this actual bad science that had happened about 40 years ago that put the fear into people that we shouldn't be eating saturated fat because it would cause heart disease and how you're saying, well, in this case, a saturated fat isn't a saturated fat. In some cases, they were talking about specific animal fats that were saturated that had been processed to a point that they were contaminant to the body. Is that correct? Well, I think that's a really important point that you raised because here's what's interesting is if you look at studies in European countries where all the animals, that the cows are grass-fed, they just hang out in the pasture like they traditionally did for many years, and they eat grass all day instead of being confined and eating corn and soy, in those countries where there's a high consumption of dairy, full-fat dairy, there's a lower risk of heart disease, mm. which I find very interesting. So this is another thing that I think is being really closely re-examined now is all the studies that were done on saturated fats, not just in butter and cooking fats, but also in animal fats, we really have to look at how those animals were raised because the way that the animal is raised makes an enormous difference in the, the final fatty acid profile. Yeah, we had guests on the show who are advocates of an even no-fat diet, saying that basically if you eat avocado or other fat-containing items, you will have enough fat in your diet, and any concentration of fat, which studies have shown, are harmful. So there's this landscape of scientific research where one can argue either way, but I would say most of us do use some form of fat or fats or oils in their diet and in the kitchen. So how about monounsaturated and polyunsaturated? What, well, those what are, are the other two types of oils besides saturated and that, that we typically use in cooking. So monounsaturated fats are things like olive oil, peanut oil, canola, avocado oil. Those are the oils that have formed the backbone of what we call the Mediterranean diet, and they've really become popular um, in research when researchers noted during the seven-country study in the 1960s that people who ate a high proportion of monounsaturated fats had a lower incidence of heart disease. The third type of oil that we'll find typically in cooking is polyunsaturated fats. Those are a little more controversial. So those are things like corn oil, sunflower oil, and safflower oil. Polyunsaturated fats are essential, which means that they're required for the normal functioning of the body, but your body can't make them, so you have to get them from food. So some polyunsaturated fats, like omega-3s, are good for you. Other polyunsaturated fats, like omega-6s, as we know, tend to be detrimental because they, we have too many of them in the typical American diet. So the polyunsaturated fatty acid category, CT, you asked about the relative health benefits of these different categories, and I think that you have to look a little bit more closely at the polyunsaturated fatty acid category because the, the fats vary widely in their omega-3 and omega-6 content within that category. So that's the perfect segue. When we, when we talk about monounsaturated and definitely polyunsaturated, fats change as we apply heat to them. So when, you, when we talk about the health benefits and cooking versus raw, what, what factors do we need to consider when we choose an oil to cook with? Well, I think I want to start by saying that uh, if generally... It's best not to heat oils at all. So I kind of have to say that as a disclaimer. <laughs> um, because we're chefs, that's probably not going to happen. Really the safest way to use oil in food is to not heat it at all or to, to cook the food first, to lightly steam it or saute it in a little broth and then toss it with oil. Again, having said that, we're probably going to use oil because I, I just personally can't 
can't imagine life without sautéed greens and, and garlic. But that's a good point you're making, actually, and it's a really important distinction. Cooking in water and then adding the oil at a lower temperature, even if you do heat it up to some degree, uh, more as a almost flavor ingredient, as a healthful ingredient that we need in our diet, but not so much as the environment in which to cook the food necessarily. That, that's what I'm hearing. That's a, exactly. Is that right? Exactly. And there's an advantage to that because you do maintain the clarity of the flavor of oil. Mm -hmm. So assuming you do want to continue to cook with oils, however, I think you have to look at a number of factors. And one of them is, of course, the smoke point. So we all know about the smoke point. And that's um, when, when oils are heated, um, they break down into a couple of components. And those are the components that actually burn when you reach a certain temperature. And of course, it varies from oil to oil. At the point where you reach smoke point, the oil is badly damaged. So the problem is, is that smoke point alone is not a great indicator of whether an oil is safe to cook with because an oil can incur damage before, long before the, the smoke point, in fact. So um, at the smoke point, one of the things that happens is that a lot of chemicals are formed. So one of them is, a, is similar to a chemical that's found in cigarette smoke and it's linked with cancer. It's called acrolein. Another thing that happens is the fats break down and they become oxidized at higher temperatures and that forms more free radicals. So it's very damaging uh -huh. to the body to cook with oil that has been heated to smoke point. Again, even before you reach smoke point, an oil can be damaged. So in that case, it's important to also consider, besides the smoke point, the level of saturation of a fat. Now that's pretty important. Yeah, and I, so, I, I know when... You know, it's, I'm sure it's a silly way to go by, but when I cook, I can hear the oil scream. It's like there's a there's a certain <laughs> sound there's a certain sound <laughs> to oil that if you cooked enough, you know you're over it. You're you already reached smoke point. I don't need to smell it or taste it. I know. Wow, this has gotten too hot. Unfortunately, that's right. And you, it may not even be smoking at that point, but you can yes. sense and you can you can see you can tell when the oil has been heated past the point where it's really usable and helpful to the body and starts to become detrimental. Yeah, when it's getting hurt. So it sounds like there are two really important variables for you to consider when you're choosing a fat to cook with. One is its smoke point. And each mm -hmm. fat is is kind of, they, they are explicit about their smoke point, whether it's on the bottle or you do your research that, you know, olive oil has a, a specific number smoke point in terms of temperature and avocado has a different one and coconut has a different one. So you look at the smoke point for one and the higher heat cooking will be done with um, fats that can tolerate a higher smoke point. But the other variable is the variable of saturation. And it's that the fats that are saturated are more stable under heat. And Correct. the ones that are, for example, monounsaturated are m at a higher risk to break down and change and become detrimental to your health when they're heated. So you're looking at these two things, saturation and smoke point, when you make your determination about what am I going to use for this specific heated job. That's correct. Great. And we want to, of course, dive into that way deeper right after the break. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And with us is Lisa Turner, chef and nutritionist inspiredeating.com her website who's joining us from Boulder, Colorado an avid food writer, natural chef and nutrition consultant instructor at Bowman College in this hour of cooking with oils the healthiest fat for every job our topic to walk you and uh, maybe perhaps provide a different understanding and a different relationship to all the oils that are used in your kitchen 
that and so much more when we come back right after the break. Lisa, stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we're back to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helber. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And with us is Lisa Turner, chef and nutritionist, inspiredeating.com, her website, joining us from Boulder, Colorado in this hour of cooking with oils, the healthiest fat for every job, walking you through the kitchen pantry and understanding all the oils, and there are at least a dozen that come to mind, what are they for and why. So Lisa, we just covered which factors to consider in order to pick an oil that's healthy and right for your job. And that was its saturation level and its smoke point. Now let's talk about which oils are the best to use and why. Can you walk us through some of the most popular oils and what job they're good for? Sure. I I think far and away, everybody would agree that olive oil has has kind of become our go-to basic. Yes. And I I think it's it's for good reason. You'll, You'll still hear a lot of disagreement about whether refined and unrefined and extra virgin olive oils and so forth should be heated. Let's say first that because it is a monounsaturated fat, it's relatively stable. So obviously saturated are the most stable, and then monounsaturated, and then polyunsaturated is the most fragile. Olive oil is relatively stable with heating. And honestly, if you look at the epidemiological studies and all the research from Greece and, and the Mediterranean countries where people have cooked with olive oil for hundreds of thousands of years, you'll see that they have a much lower rate of disease. So we consider it a, a pretty versatile, healthy oil to, to cook with. I wouldn't deep fat fry with it. I think it has a moderate heating temperature, but a low temperature saute is appropriate. So it's good for, for most uses. You want to use the extra virgin varieties for things like drizzling them over the steamed vegetables like we discussed earlier or using them as the base for dressings or or dipping breads and so forth. If you are going to fry, then I think a really good versatile oil to use is avocado oil. It's pretty mild in flavor if you use the refined versions. It's very high in monounsaturated fats, so it's stable when heated and has one of the highest smoke points of of any of the cooking oils. And again, it's it's fairly neutral. So that's something that's safe for roasting or frying, stir-frying, high-heat cooking. It's also nice if you use that dark green unrefined version for dipping sauces and drizzling on vegetables and so forth. Another oil that's really popular, of course, right now is coconut oil. And because it's saturated, it's one of the more stable oils to cook with. So it can tolerate higher temperatures. It's also available in 
Refined and unrefined versions, the unrefined is stronger in flavor. The refined is fairly neutral in flavor, so it also becomes versatile for use. So it's interesting that you mentioned avocado as a mono, a mono unsaturated, but it has a fairly high smoke point, and it's fine for like high temperature deep frying. Even though it's mono unsaturated, it's still stable. It is. It has a smoke point of five hundred and ten degrees. Oh, and wow. again, the oil can be damaged before the smoke point. So that's just one indicator. But because it's it's relatively high in um, mono unsaturated fats, it's more stable than some of the other plant oils. Speaking of those other plant oils, just to dive into that, what oils, as a general rule of thumb, should never really be heated, and, and why? I think the seed oils, anything that's very high in poly, polyunsaturated fats, because polyunsaturated fats, the ones that are high in omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids, tend to be the most fragile. So we're talking nut oils? We're talking flax, especially hemp seed, walnut, how about sesame? Because I love the flavor of sesame, and I don't know if it's... Well, I kind of have bad news for you about oh. sesame. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> really sorry. So, <laughs> you know, we, we mentioned briefly the omega-3, omega-6 fatty acid ratio, and I, I think your listeners have probably heard about this before. But ideally, omega-6 fatty acids are good for you, but in a certain proportion, and they shouldn't outweigh the omega-3 fatty acids in your diet by much. So the ideal proportion, most nutritionists say, is 3 to 1 or 4 to 1 parts omega-6 fatty acids to 1 part omega-3 fatty acids. Mm -hmm. So if you look at sesame oil, it's very, very high in omega-6 fatty acids, and it has a ratio of something like, I think it's 120 parts omega-6 fatty acids to wow. one part omega-3. I'm very sorry to tell you. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. So really from yeah, a... Helga from a, looks so depressed right now. If we were on video, yeah, you would be so and, surprised. And I need to verify this. So from a nutrition point of view, even though however the flavor, whatever the flavor does to me, uh, and it feels awesome eating it, it's really n actually not a good fat to eat, to have in your diet, period. It, well, or if anything, on, an, on occasion, but not on a weekly basis. I think on occasion is what's important, and I think on a weekly basis you're probably okay, and you have to look at it not in isolation but in context of your overall diet. So if your overall diet is good and you don't eat a lot of, if you're not eating potato chips and baked pastry goods, which I'm assuming you're not, any kind of commercially um, packaged processed foods that would tend to be higher in these omega-6 fatty acids, you, you probably are okay to eat it on occasion. So again, it's not the kind of thing where you have to, to take it too much out of context, but it is something to just consider in the overall landscape of your diet. Sure, I guess. Thank you for telling me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Stop frowning, Helga. Now, Lisa, before before we let you go, there are two other maybe semi-popular, at least well-recognized types of oils that we would like to get your feedback on, and that's canola and grapeseed. What do people need to be conscious of with those two oils when they're cooking? Well, I have a lot to say about these two, and, and it's, not, it's not great. I feel like grapeseed oil has been really popularized, and um, probably not for great reason. It's, it's a beautiful oil. It has that dark, dark green color, and the best part about grapeseed oil is it's very neutral in flavor, and it has a high smoke point which makes it versatile, but again, we know that the oil may be damaged even though it's not smoking. So if you are going to use it, it's really best to use it in very small quantities. The problem is that it has a higher concentration of omega-6 fats than any other oil that we would typically use for cooking. Even more than sesame? 
Yes. <laughs> well, and isn't it also with grapeseed? I've heard that, you know, it's really hard to find organic grapeseed oil. That's and right. grapeseed, they, they have to use a specific, like, chemical in order to extract Extracted. it. Mm-hmm. They use hexane. Hexane. And they theoretically wash it afterwards, but it's a, it's a carcinogen, and it's very difficult to remove all traces from the finished one. I mean, if you look at a grapeseed, how... How difficult can you imagine sure. how difficult it would be to extract oil from that? Yes. So, so yes, you're correct, Sita. It's very hard to get organic grapeseed oil, and it's very hard to get get it without any kind of solvents. And what and was what the about other one? Canola is the canola, other one. Exactly, yeah. rapeseed oil. Canola oil is another one of those controversial oils. Now, on the good side, I will say that canola oil is very high in monounsaturated fats, and it's very safe to cook with. So, if you are going to deep fat fry, it's it's an oil to use. I don't personally like canola oil. <clears throat> I think it has, I don't like the mouthfeel. I think it has a, <clears throat> a very greasy kind of slimy finish. It's typically fairly highly processed. And as you know, it's likely to be genetically modified if it is not organic. So it sounds like the really best oils for people to be thinking about. Olive is a wonderful staple, especially when we're talking about the lower temperature sauteing. When you move into the higher temperature, whether it's a deep fat fry or it's like a high heat sear or a braise, maybe refined avocado oil is, is what you recommend. I would say also there's another oil, tea seed oil, that's very high in monounsaturated fats. And also, it has a very low polyunsaturated fat content, and that's tea seed oil. Tea seed oil. And then the last one that you talked about with some lovely favor was coconut oil. And my understanding with coconut is that because it is a saturated fat, making it solid at room temperature, it's a it's a decent non-dairy replacement for butter, which means Correct. that when you're baking, you might favor coconut oil. Correct. I think that's a really good alternative. And we haven't really even talked about the, the frying in, in butter and, and lard and ghee. Well, I do want to at least cover butter because okay, it is it. an often used, exactly. I mean, m- many people use butter. What's your take on, on animal fats or particularly butter, unclarified? I would like to come out as supporting butter. <laughs> yes. I would like to hereby publicly recognize that I am a fan of butter. <laughs> I support butter. It depends on the kind of butter. I think you should only use butter from grass-fed, pastured cows, and that's it. I don't think you should ever use butter from anything else. For those reasons that we discussed earlier, the fatty acid profiles are completely different. Again, there's that study finding that people in countries where cows are grass-fed, dairy-fed is associated with a lower risk of heart disease. It has a very, it's very stable. It has a high smoke point. Now, when I say butter, the best butter to use is clarified butter or ghee, because if you are using regular butter, as you've probably experienced, it does brown. That's the milk solids, the proteins that are browning and not the fat itself. So if you can clarify the butter or buy a commercially processed ghee, a good one, then you can, you can fry at a higher temperature, cook at a higher temperature without worrying about that browning. Nice. And okay. That yeah. covers it. That <laughs> covers as much as I think we can do in this hour. And it was so rich. Yeah. Somehow, Lisa, you uh, anyone who wants to understand a really good you know overview and 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 uses of oils in the kitchen, listening to this episode, it's really all you would ever need. I love that when we when we have shows where somebody's able to do that in a you know twenty five minute interview to really go full circle and give practical but also background information on on the topic. And you did that so well. Um, thank you. That's Lisa Turner, chef and nutritionist, inspiredeating.com, dot com. Her website. 
who joined us from Boulder, Colorado, a writer, a very, very prolific writer, natural chef and nutrition consultant, instructor at Bowman College, one of our partners in this hour on cooking with oils, the healthiest fat for every job. Um, and that was a job well done. Thank you, Lisa, for joining us today. Thank you. It was such a pleasure to, <laughs> pleasure have, to you. have you. We hope to have you back again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> Take care. Bye. 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 Nice job. I feel like every yes. time I hear this information, <laughs> even though I know this information, it's like I, I understand it better. I can, I can just incorporate it into my lifestyle in a more manageable way. And I really hope that that's what all of our listeners are taking away from this interview. Yeah, and knowing and being reminded is still, you know, it's important that we rethink our practices. It's so easy to kind of know that, but then you kind of always use olive oil for everything, yeah, for example, true. in this yeah. case. And it's just great to have a really easy to navigate landscape. I mean, it's basically comes down to the three oils you yeah, mentioned, right? Yeah. Olive oil, avocado oil, and coconut, coconut oil. oil. And you can list them in your cupboard in three different heat, or even write it on there. You know, this is coconut is the high heat, olive oil is the medium heat, and, and avocado oil. Other way oh, around. Yeah, exactly. You do it. <laughs> <laughs> Coconut's great for high heat, avocado for medium. For heat. medium. And olive for low heat. Yeah. yeah. Or even for on salads. Yeah. Great. Yeah, Wonderful. Exactly. Wow. Okay. Cooking with oils, the healthiest fat for now. every job. Our focus in this hour, so much more is coming up. For example, what to cook with. That's right. Produce is it. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helgi Helber. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Cooking with oils, the healthiest fad for every job in the kitchen was our focus in this hour. Our key interview with Lisa Turner, chef and nutritionist, inspiredeating.com, her website. Really nice wrap up. And this is the time, you know, end of September, holidays are coming up. People are cooking. What a perfect segue to what are we cooking with produce. It's where it's at. Here is what's in season. And as always, with us is the voice of the organic movement and the San Francisco world of organic produce, Mr. Earl Herrick. Earl, are you there? Hello, good morning. Of Earl's Hello, Organic sir. Produce. Um, Earl, w it's mid-September. We are, you know, it's still very much in the bounty, but we are now in the bounty. And what's happening? What is our focus this week? Oh, geez. You know, that, <laughs> I, I love that because there are so many ways to go, and, and you, you can't miss with whatever I choose. And we're going to talk about 
phenomenon that maybe it is no longer a phenomenon because it's been going on for at least 20 years, and that is the uh, packaged salads, packaged herbs. Mm. Generally, when, when you think of package, we're talking either a plastic or a clamshell, and many things come in that form now, uh, berries and whatnot, but today it's about all the different types of greens that are available in that, in that fashion. And we have a wonderful partnership with a company called Organic Girl, and I, I will speak to that more, but right now we have uh, with us today well, maybe you should introduce her. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is a multi-way call. Actually, hopefully yeah. she's on the call. Margaret Scatini, the co-founder of Organic Girl. Margaret, calling in from Salinas. Are you there? I am. I'm grateful <laughs> to be here. Welcome to the salad. show. Yes. We are huge fans of Organic Girl. And it's funny because Earl brings up a good point. This is something that's maybe not as much a phenomenon now as it was 20 years ago. I mean, I didn't have box lettuce growing up, but now I can't really imagine living without it. I mean, you, in your fridge, you've got boxed arugula and baby kale and, you know, spinach and spring mix. There are so many different things. And this is, I think, in large part, something that you have contributed to the growth of with Organic Girl. We have definitely contributed to the growth of the organic box salad in the last decade or so. I think it started originally with conventional lettuce in bags, but now um, you'll see a wide variety of boxed organic salads as well. What makes that so special from your point of view, Margaret? There's, this, there's the convenient factor. It's pre-washed. You can open the box, add some dressing, and literally eat it as a lunch right out of the box. And I find myself, when I buy you know, several heads of lettuces, a couple I won't get to early enough. This is pre-washed and I eat roughly a box a day. So somehow there's, there's a real tangible appeal, even though it is packaged in that sense. And some people might, might say, you know, buy it fresh, buy things unpackaged. But if I, if I buy them unpackaged, I won't eat them. I won't get to all that. Is that really the biggest appeal or is it the mix? What's, what's the secret of pre-washed boxed lettuce? Well, I think it's a combination of things. I think the the quality is is excellent. Um, the convenience is can't surpass it. It's ready to go. But the varieties that people can now um, find readily available are also really exciting. You know, we've come a long way from just plain spinach. There's all sorts of exciting greens available from tat soys and bok choys to you know, kales and arugulas, very flavorful and exciting greens that are hard to find and mix together. You know, you'd have to buy several heads of things to mix together to have a, a great salad blend. So sure. I think that that's sort of changed the uh, the dynamic over the last decade. It has. It's made, it's made some of these exotic lettuces more accessible to people. And I know that in this industry, there's such a an appeal to having these exotic niche ingredients. I remember when mosh was all the rage and people could go and get boxed mosh, which was something they didn't have any any experience with or any accessibility to earlier. And I know that one thing that makes this so exciting is that you're getting a variety of flavors in this lettuce because a lot of them are mixed or even if they're not mixed, it's something that you, you just wouldn't get regularly. And particularly because these baby lettuces are picked when they're younger, they are sweeter. So Margaret, in your experience, because you have worked with so many different varieties of baby lettuces, what are some of the best ones for flavor? Um, well, my favorite is actually the baby bok choys. 
Um, sometimes the, one of the varieties is cat soy. And the reason I like that is because I grew up on crunchy lettuces, and a lot of the baby lettuces are, are tender leaf, so they're not as crunchy. But the um, baby bok choy and the tat soys have a nice crunchy stem. And so to me, I, I just love it. It's flavorful with a little crunch, and it cooks very well. It cooks better than spinach as well. So whether you're having it as a salad or you're, you're heating it, um, it really holds up. That's one of my favorites. And, of course, I love baby kale, too. I, I do like it better than mature kale. It's just easier to um, do a lot of good things with. And it's nice to to have that span of flavors from, you know, bitter greens that we may usually not include into our diets all the way to sweeter ones as the true baby lettuces. So it's because of the pre-mix, it would be actually quite difficult to buy all the individual ingredients and make the right mix every time. Yeah. And Earl, how about from your, I mean, you are a salad man. I know you are always collecting beautiful baby lettuces. You're putting together extraordinary salads. It's kind of something I think think that you really pride yourself on. What is your perspective on this whole baby lettuce flavor world? First, let me say that working with Organic Girl is an incredible pleasure because they really manifest partnership. I mean, that's, that's a word that's thrown around a lot, but when they exercise it in the way that they do, which is coming out to visit our facility, a high level of communication, meaning when changes happen, when they're introducing new products, They treat us as a partner in terms of asking for our input uh, and listening to us. Uh, So the high level of communication is really highly prized. So, Target, you guys just are totally top notch. (laughs) I want to let you know that. It's a love Uh, fest. We talked about a shortage of baby lettuces a few months back. What contributed to that? And are we out of the woods? And with that, what are the new... Uh, mixes and the new varieties that we can expect to find in the marketplace? Well, I'm going to let Margaret answer that last part. Great. And probably much of the entire question, but my part of it is it's really weather-related. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's no surprise whether in the winter uh, we have the challenges of low temperatures, freezing, if the product is is accessible to, to rain, obviously that's going to knock it out. In the, in the summer, it's the high temperatures which then, if you have foggy weather on top of that, that causes this great kind of hothouse effect, which makes it for a perfect scenario for, for fungus and mold and uh-huh. mildew. Sure. So th- those are the challenges. But Margaret can, is obviously in the middle of all that, and I'd love you to address that, Margaret. Yeah, Margaret, are we out of the woods? Is this the supply guaranteed again and, and steady? And what new varieties can we expect? Well, first of all, we're never totally guaranteed because Mother Nature is in charge. It's agriculture. Yeah. We can't predict that. It's also true that in the winter months, like Earl was talking about, it's more challenging because there's not as many geographies where we can grow. We're in the spring and summer, there's a broader geography that has the right type of weather to grow organic greens. Um, and in the winter, you're, you're a little more landlocked, so it's more challenging if, if there's a a weather incident, the whole crop can go. Um, we are trying new geographies this winter, so we're doing everything we can to try to help ensure supply, but it is trickier in the winter. Sure. We do have some super exciting new products coming that are all about flavor. Um, we have a new lettuce a sweet pea shoot, which tastes like a snap pea when you eat the actual green part of it, which we're really excited about. And then we have another item coming out called pepper greens, 
which is a bunch of hot, peppery, spicy greens, um, mustards and cresses and arugulas mixed together. It's a really a delicious blend and really exciting to get some more great flavors into greens just to help people eat more greens and enjoy them all year. And I can even get my children to eat the sweet pea greens, so I'm feeling pretty good about that. <laughs> all right. Well, I find this particularly exciting, like I was saying earlier, is that I think there's this trend of like culinary niche items and, and pea shoots are something and sweet pea greens that have shown up in a lot of menus and have really excited people because of the flavor. And also with the pepper greens, like mustard greens are really strong. It's not something that people will go and buy an entire bunch of it and use it right away because of its strength. But these blends are going to make it more accessible for people to get more flavor and more health benefits from these bitters and these spices, which are great for detox. So we're very excited to see these. Thank you so much, Margaret, for coming on to help us understand more about the accessibility of delicious baby lettuces. And of course, that's iloveorganicgirl.com, the website for more information, iloveorganicgirl.com. Margaret Scatini, the co-founder of Organic Girl. Thanks, Margaret, for joining us today. It's such a pleasure. Thank you, and thank you, Earl. We're very grateful for our partnership. And that's, we we tagged (laughs) onto that. Um, Earl, great to have you, and what a great idea to bring Margaret on and really dive into box salad greens and understand that world a little better and get excited about what's next. We'll talk with you next week. Yes, you will. (laughs) Okay, thanks, Earl. Always a pleasure. Thanks, (laughs) Earl. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye, Bye, Margaret. Wow, another rich hour. We came from Teflon pans and and nonstick pans and rather using stainless steel and, of course, cast iron if possible and not caring that much about the stickiness or using some of the methods you recommended, Sita, to cooking with oils in this hour and now produce what's in season amazing. Box lettuces and sautéing some of those delicious greens. Now we know what to saute them with. Hint, it's olive oil. (laughs) And it is the time of holidays this week and, of course, coming up in October and later. But we have Kwanzaa, we have Sukkot, we have Eid al-Adha. Happy uh, celebrations to all of those religious groups. Wonderful. Well, and Kwanzaa, I think, is later in the year. Eid al-Adha and Sukkot are coming up in... um, the end of this month, end of September and, and into October. And we had a great episode that talked about all three of those, Eid al-Adas, Sukkot, and Kwanzaa as kind of like the end of the year holidays that all have really strong food traditions. So you can find that on anorganicconversation.com. You can go and look at old episodes celebrating food traditions where we talk about the beautiful um, ceremonies that are related around family and food and community this time of year with these holidays. And and it's harvest time. So, it's harvest. You know, it's autumn equinox. I would equinox. say most traditions are born out of some kind of relationship to the land and harvest or at least have a strong food component that has a story and symbolism with it. So beautiful. The healthiest fat for every job. Our focus in this hour and this is an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helber. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Good luck with your cooking adventures. May they be not just delicious, but also very healthy. And we'll be back with more next week. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. 
patreon.com forward slash an organic conversation. Thank you for your contribution. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business since 1988. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helber and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye.